Well, guys, we are in a series called Fast Forward, and you may think, hey, well, we're fast-forwarding our service because we just did one song. We're getting out of here early today. It's not exactly how it's going to work. Jimmy was like, yeah, one song every week from now on, right? Like, worship team is going to be real easy on us. That's that's not how we're doing it. Um, We are uh, pushing our worship primarily to the back today. Um, if you've been a part of City Church for any length of time, you probably know what that means. That means we're going to talk about worship. Uh, man, every once in a while, but I, I get a chance to preach on what is probably my favorite topic. And when I get a chance to preach on worship, I love to, to let us walk it out in service before we go. So we're going to talk about it first and then walk it out at the end of our time together. If you've been here for our series, we're looking at accelerating into God's best in the new year, not just stumbling into his best, not just kind of awkwardly searching for his best, but actually, you know, hitting the gas pedal and speeding up into God's very best for us. I believe that God has a best for you in 2019. I believe God has something great for you, something great for you to accomplish, something great for you to fulfill, something great that he wants to do in your life. Maybe it's a change he wants to, to, to bring to you. Maybe it's a new aspect he wants to incorporate in your life. Maybe it's, man, just, just a, a whole new thing he wants to show you about himself. But I believe God has something great for you, even this year, and I believe you have the opportunity to accelerate into that. In other words, not to procrastinate it, not to put it off, not to let it maybe come to you down the road, but say, you know what, God, I'm ready for your best. And I'm gonna speed up and accelerate into that. Some of you guys are already doing that through this fast. As you're seeking God through our our Bible reading plan, through our prayer plan, man, I I see it happening. I'm hearing reports. I'm fired up for what God is doing. And uh, if you're doing our Bible reading plan, we are gonna steal something from what you're going to read on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 today. You're going to be in this. If you're, you're caught up on the reading plan, you'll be here Tuesday. Um, we've been doing this thing where we've been kind of taking stories in this series, and, and they're, they're common stories. They're stories that we've maybe heard a uh, hundred times or a thousand times, but looking into these stories, digging into these stories, and believing that there's actually more God wants to show us in them, even though we've heard them so many times that there's something there he wants to reveal to us. So today in Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at what is for me in the spiritual tribe that I grew up in, a very common, almost cliche story. This is the story of Paul and Silas in prison. I grew up charismatic, man. And if you grew up charismatic, there there is nothing you know in the Bible like the worship passages, man. You know how to worship and you know what the Bible teaches about worship. You know how Paul and Silas teaches us that praise frees the captives and that praise makes the chains fall off. And then, man, every worship leader you grew up with had some little throw, statement they could throw out there about Paul and Silas, right? Like it was something that, 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 that we were trained in. We just got, we, we, you would almost hear it with like, you'd read Acts 16 with the organ playing in the background and like a black choir saying, uh-huh, right? Come on, Jesus. Like, you're ready, right? Well, that's what I get to preach on today. And you've probably heard this passage preached before, but I hope and I believe that God's going to show you something in this passage that maybe you've never realized until today. This is an awesome story. It's a powerful story of what happens when we worship with a pure heart in crummy circumstances. Um, Just like our last two stories, I'm excited for us to dig into it. Starting in Acts chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 16. It says this. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, so we 
Luke is writing this. This is the second volume of his, his recordings, his history of the church. He wrote the Gospel of Luke about Jesus' life, and then he wrote the book of Acts about what happened after Jesus. And so Luke is this medical doctor. He plays great attention to detail, uh, and, and he records this for us. And there's these sections uh, in the book of Acts where he alters from they to we. So Luke was actually with Paul and Silas on this missionary journey. Uh, So he's giving us a firsthand account of what's gone down here. He says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Pretty awesome, right? Like, can you imagine just rolling through downtown Memphis and somebody's following you saying, these women are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Like, kind of cool at first, but eventually it might get annoying, right? Uh, And that's where Paul gets. Says verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned to her and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Can you imagine the kind of power of God operating in your life that when somebody annoys you badly enough, you can just cast the devil out of them? Man, you'd be, you'd be using that power a little too much, right? Like, like we, we'd be a little over the top with that. Like, be gone, Satan. Uh, so Paul actually had the discernment to know that this wasn't just an annoying person. This was somebody who was possessed demonically, who needed to be set free. And he sets her free in the name of Jesus. He speaks to the demon, and the demon is gone. This is like not even the miracle that we associate with this story, right? Like we, don't, we just brush past this. In fact, a lot of times we don't even read this part of it. We just pick up when they're in prison. But I want you to see how they got to prison. What, what were they up to in the process? Verse 19 says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. (coughs) Excuse me. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So this girl was a slave and she was owned by some men who who were using her gift, her, her demonic power, her demonic psychic power to make money. Uh, And so when Paul speaks to her in the name of Jesus and she's set free, all of a sudden their cash cow is gone. Their golden goose is now cooked. And so what do they do? They turn on Paul and Silas. This is reminiscent of the story of Jesus and the pigs, right? There's this whole crew, uh, well, there's this guy, this demoniac of Gadarenes, uh, who's got this legion of demons in him. And Jesus casts the demons out of him and they says, well, why don't you go into those pigs And the pig owners get mad at Jesus. This guy's been set free. His whole life's been turned upside down. All of a sudden, this person who who was awful, who was violent, who who they couldn't even keep chained up, who would run around naked through the streets, this person who tormented and tortured everybody, now he's free. These people should be celebrating, but they're worried about their own finances. So they get mad at Jesus. So these guys... Here in Acts chapter 16, they get mad at Paul and Silas because they had the audacity to set a little girl free from her demonic oppression. 
Verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. A lot of times we don't pick up the story until the next verse, because the next verse is the turning point in this story. The next verse is where the story goes from kind of dark, kind of ugly, to to magnificent. It's, it's this place where, where, where we learn these principles and we say, man, I want to be like that. I want to have faith like that. But I think if we start the, the story in verse 25 and we miss the context of how Paul and Silas ended up there, I think we miss what they were actually going through. Put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes. You're in prison. You've been flogged. You've been stripped publicly and beaten. It says severely flogged. You've been thrown in prison, chained up. It says in the inner cell. So, so they were in the place that was the, the, the most heavily guarded, the, the place that, where the, the most dangerous criminals would be put. And then their feet were put in stocks. Why? Because they loved God enough and loved people enough to help a little girl get free from her oppression. If there was ever a time to say, God, what are you doing? God, what, how, how did this even happen? If there was ever somebody to grumble against God, it was Paul and Silas. They're putting their lives on the line for the gospel. They let this little girl get free. They do something incredible and beautiful, and this is their reward? I mean, just imagine in the flesh how easy it would be to, to, to push back against what God is up to here. And yet, verse 25 exists, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's life-changing. Verse 25 says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that this is not just a story to teach us some good principles, God, but this is actual history of your church. God, that these men actually existed, that you used them to to rebuke this demon and cast it out of this little girl. And God, even as everything seemed to turn against them, you did not forget them. Father God, as they lifted up their voices in prayer and praise to you, you moved in a mighty way. So Holy Spirit, we ask that that same power that was in that prison cell in Macedonia 2,000 years ago would be with us today. God, we thank you that it is, that your Holy Spirit lives in us and is in our midst. And so we ask that you would move in our time, Father God, in in a powerful way, in a way that would change our hearts Help us to understand the value, the purpose behind worship, God, and make us more into the image of your son as we do it. We thank you for all you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title this message today, The Praise Accelerator. If you imagine the, the, the gas pedal in your car, man, the thing that makes your car go faster, that praise actually accelerates us into our future, into God's best, into the thing that he has for us. We see Paul and Silas in the midst of 
very dark circumstances, in the midst of, uh, of a situation which would cause many of us to grumble, many of us to doubt, many of us to question God. And by the way, I don't think that Paul and Silas didn't have some of those same thoughts and feelings. They were human. I think they were wrestling with some of that same stuff, but they chose to stand in faith, to worship in faith, to believe that God was in the midst, even when they didn't see him. Man, what a way to accelerate into what God had for them. We see God move quickly and mightily, man. We could have imagined them praying that, hey, we would be set free over the next few weeks, that, that some official would see our, our plight and, and that we would be allowed to go free. And in the moment, God moves. He accelerates. We call, I call in this message the praise accelerator. The subtitle, if you prefer, is pump the praise pedal. Uh, we're we're, we're going to pump the praise pedal in our lives. I believe that God has given us a praise pedal, a gas pedal that allows us to move into his presence, that allows us to move into his best. And I think many times we don't take advantage of that pedal. And so my encouragement today is that, that all of us would pump the praise pedal, not just in our service today, but in our lives, in our circumstance, in our situations. Um, if you grew up charismatic like I did, man, you hear about Paul and Silas, and you get fired up. You get ready for something because you know the power of this story. You know what God is up to here. Um, I believe there's something really, really cool in here, some rocket fuel to help you. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you some things that that praise accelerates us through, or, or praise that some things that are true about praise that accelerates your life. Uh, You see, praise that accelerates your life isn't just showing up and kind of mumbling through three songs on Sunday morning. Praise that accelerates your life isn't just kind of going through the worship motions a couple of times a week. Praise that accelerates your life is different. It's genuine praise. It's pure praise. It's worship from a heart that is in awe of a creator, that is in awe of its maker, that is in awe of its savior. It's praise that wants to see him glorified and magnified and lifted up regardless of what's going on around you. God's calling us to a place of that kind of praise. He's calling us to a place where we lift him up with that kind of heart. And so I want to show you some some characteristics of that kind of praise. First of all, praise that accelerates your life transcends circumstance. Transcends our circumstance. Acts 16 Verse 19, we're going to go back through this just to to reiterate. It says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities and listen to all the stuff that happens to them. They're brought out before the magistrates and they're falsely accused. They said, hey, they're putting our city in uproar. They weren't putting the city in uproar. They were fixing chaos. They were bringing peace to disorder. This girl was possessed by a demon. And they set her free. This is not bringing anything into uproar. This is stepping into a situation that is awful and fixing it and bringing peace and order. So they're falsely accused. Uh, It says, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. That wasn't true either, by the way. Romans were allowed to do pretty much anything they wanted. They were a very uh, polytheistic culture. You could worship anybody. You could worship any way you wanted to. They, they, they were allowed to do just about anything when it came to faith, anything when it came to religion, anything when it came to worship. So they weren't advocating any unlawful custom. Verse 22 says, the crowd joined in the attack. Now, by the way, let me pause there. 
it would become unlawful. If you're familiar with church history, uh, this, this is about 30 years before it became banned to be a Christian. And it became banned and you were going to be murdered and thrown in prison and lots of awful things was going to happen. Uh, that hadn't happened yet. So it wasn't unlawful at this point in church history or Roman history. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Stripped publicly, just like Jesus. Beaten publicly, just like Jesus. It says, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. They weren't just a couple extra prisoners. Man, we want extra protection on these. They're not getting away. It says, verse 24, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet in the stocks. Church, anybody can praise God when things go well. Anybody can praise God when we get a promotion, right? Anybody can praise God when we we see God moving. Paul and Silas are in the midst of a moment where God seems silent, where God seems distant, where God doesn't seem to be there. You see, praise that accelerates your life into God's best, into God's next step for you, to the next level that God wants to take you is praise that transcends your circumstance. It's praise that says, even when I didn't get the promotion, even when I got passed over, even when they told lies about me, even when my reputation was attacked, even when this was unjust, even when it didn't go the way it was supposed to, even when I'm beaten, even when I'm physically bearing the the mark and the pain of my circumstance, even then you're worthy. You see, if you want the kind of praise that's going to take you to a new level in your walk with God, that's going to take you to a new place in your walk with God, you're going to have to develop the habit of praising even in the midst of awful circumstances. You see, a lot of times we wait out the circumstance and eventually God shows up, right? And eventually God does something and then we worship because, oh my gosh, look at this testimony. I can't, I can't wait to tell you what God did and that we should celebrate that. We should be excited to share that. But the place where God wants us to get to, church, the place where God is calling City Church in 2019, the place that I believe God is calling you in this new year is a place Well, you're worshiping even in the darkest hour, even in the darkest circumstance. You see, Paul and Silas, at this point, they don't even know what's going to happen next. They don't know if their life's going to be put on the line. They don't know if they're going to face capital charges for this. They don't know how much power and influence these slave owners held in the city that they're in. They're in Caesarea Philippi at this point in time. They don't know. You see, later on, Paul's going to write a letter to the church in this city that is just now forming. I mean, the gospel has just gotten there. It's been there about a week at this point in time. And Paul's going to write this book called the book of Philippians. And he's going to talk about considering it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds, right? He's going to talk about all this stuff that he went through and how joy continued to show up in the midst of it. See, Paul understood something. And I don't think that joy just happened in Paul. I think Paul fostered joy through praise. I think he worshiped in the dark moments, and that kept him joyful. Pastor Mark Batterson wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day that if you're part of our Man Up group on Tuesday mornings, we've been reading through. Um, 
The book says this, I love it. He says, worship is forgetting about what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with God. Worship is forgetting what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with God. You see, there's a whole lot wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with you this morning. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know. Maybe you're the person that, uh, maybe you normally come to the 9.15 a.m. service and we threw your whole day off because we didn't have service this morning, man. It threw off your schedule, and now you're behind, and you're thinking, man, there's gonna be, the, the restaurant's going to be packed when we get out of here, and, right? Like, you, you got it real rough because we didn't have service at the same time you're used to, right? Like, maybe that's you today, or, or maybe you came in today with, like, some real problems, like some real issues in your family, some real issues in your body, so, some real issues in your faith. Maybe you came in here today with some real struggles, Can I encourage you, when we get the opportunity to worship at the end of our time together today, worship is forgetting what's wrong with you and remembering what's right with him. Because here's the beautiful thing. No matter what's wrong with me, it pales in comparison to what's right with him. No matter what junk is in me, no matter what sin, what shame, what what, what condemnation, no matter what failure is in me, no matter what sickness is in me, no matter what frustration is in me, no matter what bitterness is in me or unforgiveness is in me, it is nothing compared to the faithfulness that is in him. It is nothing compared to the power that is in him. It is nothing compared to the goodness that is in him. And worship is saying, okay, I'm going to quit focusing on all this junk in my life because there's plenty of it, and I'm going to remember that there's one who's out there who's got it all together. And I'm going to give him my focus. I'm going to give him my phrase. I'm going to lift him up because he is worthy. Sometimes transcending circumstance is actually the opposite, though, because for some of us, we kind of wait until things get bad, and then we start chasing God. Right? Most of us, like, we, we worship God when it's good, but some of us were like, we've got to be rock bottom, and then we come back to Jesus, right? Like, everything's got to go wrong, and then it's like, okay, God, I love you. Um, so maybe for you, transcending circumstance today isn't forgetting about everything that's wrong. Maybe transcending circumstance is forgetting about what's right. Instead of saying, okay, I'm comfortable, everything's good, my bills are paid, we got heat, man, I, I got food in the fridge. Like, instead of getting to that place where, man, everything's good, And I forget about God saying, you know what, God, even in abundance, even when I'm blessed, even when I don't feel like I need you, I recognize that I need you. See, for some of us, it's the opposite. But praise that accelerates us to the next level transcends circumstance. Number two, praise that accelerates your life transcends comfort. It transcends comfort. Can you imagine Paul and Silas in the prison cell? They're in a city where they they don't know anybody. They've only been there a week. They're they're, they're in chains. Their feet are in stocks. We don't know if they're standing up or or sitting down or laying down or what their their physical posture is, but whatever it is, it's uncomfortable. Whatever it is, it's unnatural. Whatever it is, it it, it doesn't feel good. Not only is it uncomfortable physically, but but man, there's some emotional discomfort going on. What's going to happen to us? What about all those people that we haven't told yet that we came on this mission trip for? Like, what, what, what's going to go down? There's a lot of discomfort. And Paul and Silas chose to praise and transcend their comfort. Church, can I say this lovingly? As Americans, we have it too good. 
We have it too good. We, we, we get too comfortable too easily. And, and sometimes, man, we, we worship our comfort. Well, man, the temperature's just right, and, and the guitar level's just right today. It's not too loud. And, and I can hear this singer, but not hear that singer, right? And like we, we, we get caught up in all these things about our comfort. And okay, now I can worship because everything's right. There's no buzz coming from this microphone, right? Like the, the words on the screen are right, and it's a good font, and nothing's misspelled, and there's not any, like, we get so caught up in such little stuff that's so minute and so insignificant, and we forget that it's God on the throne who is worthy to be worshipped. Paul and Silas in the midst of massive discomfort, discomfort that you and I have probably never experienced before. They've just been beaten with rods, severely flogged. Their back is leaking. There's blood. There's pus. They're in pain. They're in stocks. They're in prison. In the midst of some of the most uncomfortable circumstances we can imagine, they said, you know what? God's worthy even when I'm not comfortable. And we got caught up in playing this preference game. Well, I like this style of music, and I like this style of worship. And look, every church has its own style, and I've got my own preferences, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. But the reality is, it shouldn't matter what kind of song we sing up here, what kind of instrument we play up here, whether there's no instruments at all. Church of Christ style, right? Like, it shouldn't matter any of that. What matters is who are we singing that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter if the person up here is talented or not. Man, we're blessed with some incredibly talented people. I'm so grateful for the talent that God has placed in City Church. But man, if, if I got up here and led worship one day, as awful and as much of a disaster as that would be, we should be able to enter in. Because it ain't about me. It ain't about the singer. It's about the one we're singing about. And we get so focused on, on our comfort and our preferences. And man, we do this song too much. Or I don't know this song, so I can't enter into this. Or I can't do that. Or that person next to me singing too loud and they're obnoxious. Man, be the obnoxious person sitting next to somebody singing too loud. Man, just give God your best. Somebody clap for that. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Take that one clap, Simone. Number three. Praise that accelerates your life transcends company. See, today we got a packed house. We got one service. It's going to be easy. It's going to be loud in here, man. You're going to hear people singing, and it's one of the most beautiful sounds. I love it when the house is full and when I can hear the saints of God worshiping and magnifying Jesus. It's one of the coolest things in the world to me. But Paul and Silas chose to worship when everybody else in the prison was listening to them. Can you imagine how awkward this was? It's midnight, by the way. You're in prison in a city you're not familiar with, with people that you don't know. By the way, the gospel just showed up in this city a few days ago. Chances are very, very high. Nobody else in this prison knows Jesus. This isn't going to prison in the South and half of the people there are going to witness to you, right? Like this is as messed up as their life might be, they're going to tell you about Jesus, right? This is people who don't even know that Jesus exists. And these two crazy dudes show up in the middle of the night in stocks after being beaten, and they start singing. And everybody starts to listen. What in the world is going on there? 
I've heard some stuff coming out of the inner cell before, but I've never heard this. I've never heard this kind of thing come out of there. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They're listening. Nobody else is singing. But Paul and Silas are singing. Why? Because they know the one they're singing about. Because their song isn't about the other people in the prison. Their song's not about them. Their song's about the creator. It's about their savior. It's about their friend. It's about the one who's redeemed them and delivered them and who's for them and not against them. So they ain't worried about who else is singing. One of my my greatest frustrations as a youth pastor has always been that that there's times, man, when, when, when you can get a couple of students worshiping, you can get a whole room full of students worshiping. But if you can't cross the line to get those couple of students worshiping, you can't get anybody to worship. And it's like, man, it's not about the person next to you. And I get it. I've been a teenager. I've been there, right? Like, I'm not trying to pick on our kids. I love our kids. But mature faith is faith that says, I'm going to worship if nobody else in the room is going to worship. I'm going to worship if I'm the only one. I don't care who else is lifting their voice. I'm going to lift mine. I don't care who else is lifting their hands. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. He's worth it. Their praise wasn't predicated on anybody else entering in. It was predicated on their love for their Savior. And so then what happened? Verse 26, we read it once. We'll read it again. It says, suddenly. Everybody say, suddenly. Suddenly, in the midst of this worship, in the midst of this sound going up, in the midst of these prisoners saying, What's that? And probably the one drunken jerk in the prison who's mocking them and making fun of them and telling them to shut up so we can go to sleep. In the midst of that, it says there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. How many want to see some foundations shaken in our country? How many want to see some foundations shaken in our culture? How many want to see some foundations shaken in our generation? How did it happen? They lifted up praise that transcended their, their circumstance, that transcended their comfort, that transcended their company. And as they lifted up that praise, something happened that shook the foundation of the prison. It says at once all the prison doors flew open. How many want to see some prison doors fly? We see some people set free. At once, all of the chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. That's awesome. Praise that accelerates your life, transcends circumstance. It transcends comfort. It transcends company. I want to show you something else in this story that I've never seen before. So in Acts 16, 25, it says that they were, about midnight, they, they were praying and they were singing hymns, right? Singing hymns to God. You ever wondered what they were singing? No, right? Nobody thinks about that. These are the kind of things your pastor thinks about when he reads the Bible. I wonder what they were singing. I wonder what song they picked. I wonder what, what it sounded like. Well, believe it or not, Bible scholars have some thoughts on this. Um, the word for singing hymns to God is the Greek word hymneo. Hymneo means to sing a hymn to sing. Um, and the, 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 there's a subtext here in the Strong's Concordance that tells us the singing of Pascal hymns, uh, the, these were things, this was what was associated with this word. This is what the Jews did when they used this word hymneo. They worshiped specifically with seven chapters of the Bible. They worshiped with Psalm 113 through 118, and they worshiped with Psalm 136. 
So Psalm 113 through 118 are known to the Jews as the Hallel. We'll talk about Hallel in a minute. Psalm 136 is known as the Great Hallel. So what is Hallel? What does Hallel mean? Hallel is to praise, to boast, to be boastful. Sub-definitions, check this out. To make a fool of or to make into a fool, to act madly like a madman. Does that describe your worship? Anybody look at you and say, man, you're, you're a fool. You're a madman. What is wrong with you? If not, then I dare say there's a level for your worship to go that it hasn't gotten yet. Now, look at Paul and Silas. Could you describe singing songs of praise in a prison at midnight in stocks when everybody else is listening to you? Does that sound like a madman? Does that sound like a fool? Yeah. What were they doing? They were halaling. By the way, halal is the first part of that word you know called hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? Like it's translated in our Bible as praise. You see, there's seven words in Hebrew for praise. We only have one. And so we miss a lot of the context, a lot of the difference. We just say praise, but the, the Hebrews understood a lot of different types of praise. This one was, was a raving boast. It was a madman who stood on the corner and said, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Right? It was lifting him up. It was saying crazy, amazing things about him because he's a crazy, amazing God. It was to allow him. I'll give you an example directly from one of these passages, Psalm 117, one of the shortest psalms. It's only two verses long. It says this. It says, praise the Lord, all ye nations. That praise is halal. Halal the Lord. Rave about the Lord. Boast about the Lord. Be mad about the Lord. Make a fool of yourself, declaring how great is the Lord. All you nations, extort him, all you peoples, for great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Halal the Lord. Rave about the Lord. Boast about the Lord. Lift up the Lord. Halal was passionate praise. Last Sunday afternoon, I got a text message from an awesome, awesome member of our church. Text message said this, said, awesome word today, pastor. Worship was all that I prayed for. It was the last time you prayed for our worship. Man, I love that we got people praying for our worship. Said this, said, I saw people lifting their hands without being prompted. And it's one thing that we lift our hands when somebody says, let's lift our hands. And I, I'm glad we do. Man, because we can do that together. It's a corporate move of surrender, of, of, of worship, of honor to God. But how awesome is it when we can take that step without somebody telling us? That I'm saying, hey, here's how you need to worship. Just saying, you know what? He's worthy of my worship regardless. I love that. I love it for a couple of reasons. One, I love it because I sit on the front row during worship, and I have no idea what goes on behind me, and it drives me crazy. Because I want to know. <laughs> Are we worshiping? Are we entering in? Like, all I know is, man, I can hear from the acoustics, but I love this building. I love that I can hear our people singing, right? I love, I get that, but I, but I have no idea what the posture looks like. I have no idea of who's entering in and who's not, and, and I'm, I care about that stuff. So I haven't, like, recruited people to tell on you, but I got this text message, and I was excited, right? It's like, maybe I need to get some, empower some people. God is on the move. Paul and Silas were both Jews. They were both raised and educated as Jews. Bible scholars believe that Silas was probably one of the 70 who was sent out by Jesus in groups of two uh, in the Gospels. He wasn't one of the 12, but he was one of the 70. He's somebody who, who personally watched Jesus. 
Paul, you probably know his story and the incredible testimony and conversion he had on the road to Damascus. Um, they were both raised in educated Jews. They would have known a variety of Jewish worship songs called the Psalms. They would have known probably the majority of them, if not all of them. They certainly would have known the Hallel. Now, I don't know exactly what Paul and Silas were singing, but it, the Bible at least implies for us they were probably singing something from one of these eight psalms. So I picked one, and it might be the wrong one. But we're going to read Psalm 136, the great halal. This is, this is the exclamation point. This is the cherry on top of Jewish worship. This is their greatest corporate worship song, the great halal, the great rave, the great boast about their God. It's 26 verses long, so buckle up. We're going to read this whole thing. And we're going to hear the declaration it makes about God, and I'm going to need your help, and you're going to pick up on what I need your help with before too long. Verse 1 says this, says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then it says, his love endures forever. Then it says, give thanks to the God of gods. Then it says, his love endures forever. You're catching on? Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our lowest state. And check out verse 24. And this is when I think it happened. And I have no idea. This is completely my imagination. I can't promise you this, but this is what I see happening. And Paul and Silas get to verse 24 in the song. And they sing together and freed us from our enemies. And the foundations of the prison shook. And God freed them and delivered them the same way that he had delivered the Israelites. See, they're singing and building their faith. They're singing their history. They're singing of God's goodness. They're singing of God's victories. They're they're, they're singing of the way that God had defeated their enemies. And these were evil enemies. These were enemies who deserved to be defeated just as, as they had been unjustly thrown into prison in Philippi. And as they sing, as they lift up their voices, God shows up. 25 and 26, just to wrap it up, say he gives food to every creature. Every Daniel faster said, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Isn't that awesome? The great halal. The Jews' favorite worship song. This call and response. They declare who God is. What are they doing? They're raving. 
They're boasting. They're making fools of themselves. They're madmen because they realize the incredible power of their God. As we wrap up this message and get ready to move into worship, I, I want to show you two things that happen when we bring the praise accelerator out. We just saw three things that define the praise accelerator, three things that we have to do in order to accelerate into praise. Here's two things that will happen from this story. It's not the only things that God does, but two things. Number one, the praise accelerator brings deliverance. So suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. See, the beauty is when God raises up a generation who will worship, he doesn't just bring deliverance to the ones who worship. The deliverance comes to the innocent bystanders, right? Comes to the people in the area. See, if we want deliverance in Olive Branch, we want deliverance in Memphis, we want God to start bringing some deliverance at your school, at your workplace, in your family, your neighborhood, wherever circle God has placed you in, one of the greatest ways to do it is just start getting crazy in worship. Just become a madman in worship. Just start boasting and raving and lifting up some halal in worship because God's presence manifests when God's people praise. And when God's presence shows up, stuff starts happening. People start getting set free. At the end of our worship today, we're going to sing a song that says, Break Every Chain. We're going to declare this together, that he breaks every chain. We're going to have prayer partners down here who are ready to pray with you. If you need some chains broken, we're going to invite you to come down for some prayer because we believe that God breaks every chain. Why? Because God brings deliverance when God's people pray. When we praise, the praise acceleration allows his deliverance to show up. Secondly, I want you to see this as we get ready to close. The praise accelerator brings deliverance. Secondly, the praise accelerator brings salvation. Here's the part of the story we didn't read yet. The last section, starting in verse 27, says the jailer woke up. This is after the earthquake. And when he saw it, probably during the earthquake, actually, right? Uh, when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Was he going to kill himself because he thought he was a failure? No, he was going to kill himself because he was going to get killed, right? His bosses were going to hold him accountable. Nobody, there was no earthquake excuse for people getting out of prison. So he woke up and he's about to kill himself. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. That's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? A bunch of heathen prisoners. Just, just had an earthquake, break off their chains, and none of them ran away. You know God's up to something, right? You I mean you justify the earthquake as a, as a, as a, what's the word I'm looking for? Coincidence. If you want to, you can't justify them all staying there. Only God could do that. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? One of the coolest questions in all of scripture. One of my favorite questions in all of scripture. The question I've had the privilege a couple of times of having somebody ask me, what do I need to do to be saved? Usually it's me asking them, are you ready to be saved? Every once in a while, somebody will say, what do I got to do? What a beautiful question. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Midnight baptism. Only time we see it in scripture. I think it's awesome. I want to do one one day. 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. You see, we usually read this story and think that God delivered them with the earthquake. The reality is they chose to stay there to protect the jailer. And in the midst of it, the jailer came to Jesus. Because of their testimony, because of their sacrifice, because of their humility, their willingness to lay down their own life. This guy came to Jesus. His whole household comes to Jesus. His whole family gets saved. They get baptized that night. And then God moves on the judges. He moves on the magistrates and they send the order, set them free. See, they weren't actually set free from the earthquake. I don't know how many times we've heard this story or preached this story and we always think, man, it's what brought the deliverance and it obviously is part of it. But they chose to stay in captivity for a greater purpose. They chose to stay prisoners because they knew that somebody could meet Jesus if they did. That's the heart of a madman. That's the heart of a fool who said, you know what? I'm enraptured with the glory of God. There's nothing more important to Paul and to Silas than bringing God glory and pointing people to See, the praise accelerator, when we press the gas, when we pump the gas pedal, the praise pedal, and we accelerate into worship, people come to Jesus. How do I know that? Not just from this story. Jesus put it this way. He said, when I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. See, we want to see a city come to Jesus. We want to see the lost fall in love with the majesty of the Savior. One of the best ways we can do that is sell ourselves out in worship. Is allow his beauty, his goodness, his greatness and his power, his deliverance, his salvation, his healing, his faithfulness, his glory to capture us again. When's the last time you were captured in worship? When's the last time you were a madman in worship? or a mad woman? When's the last time you were raving and boasting about your God? Maybe you've never been at that place. I invite you today to allow. I invite you today to hallelujah, to praise the Lord, to lift his voice. His love endures forever with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love pray with me, church. Father God, I thank you so much for this incredible group of people that I get to spend Sunday mornings with and so much of my life with. God, I thank you for this family day where we all get to be together in one room and lift us one voice to you. So God, we, we lift you up today. We magnify you today. We worship you today. God, we ask you to unleash in our midst some mad men and some mad women 
God, some, some hallelujah chorus. Who doesn't care what anybody thinks? Who doesn't care what the other prisoners think? Because we know we've been set free already. We know those prison chains. We know that those scars on our back, those wounds that haven't healed, that's only temporary. But you've promised us eternity. You've delivered us from our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. God, you've promised us life with you. So you're worth it. And you're worthy. So God, unleash in us, in our midst, in our family, in our church, a new generation of worshipers, God, a, a group who is willing to allow, who's willing to rave about you, to boast about you, to adore you. Father God, help us to be so sold out in worship to you, God, that it brings deliverance, that it brings salvation to our city. We thank you, God, for allowing us to press the praise accelerator and transcend our circumstances, transcend our comfort, transcend our company. We, God, we thank you for the chance to experience your presence in worship. So we press towards you today, God. We press on that gas pedal, saying we just want to be in your midst. We just want to be in your presence. We just want to experience you with all that we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said